What's up, guys? I'm Jordan, and uh, not going to lie, a little intimidated to talk after Dylan's whole shepherd and the sheep thing. Kind of kind of tough to follow that one. Uh, but I'm here. Here I am. And uh, yeah, I stinking, I just love being here. I just love being at Salt Company, and I'm pumped about it. This is, uh, this is my last time speaking at Salt this year. And so, of course, I uh, started getting nostalgic. Yeah, because... Uh, yeah, I started getting nostalgic because that's what I do. And so I, I was thinking about you seniors because this is crazy. We, uh, this is the last time I'll get to talk to you at Salt Company, but we planted this thing, this church in Salt Company, uh, just under four years ago. And so this is the first class to come like all the way through Salt Company. And uh, so just have been thinking about the glory days, you know, uh, the first ever salt company before we ever launched the church was in Blarney's Pub in Dinkytown. That was a thing that happened uh, in the basement of Blarney's. And we had pizza. And you guys know the basement of Blarney's. Like, oh, why do you know the basement of Blarney's? Huh. Uh, anyway, uh, so we were in the basement of Blarney's uh, doing a little salt company. I met Tony and Colin there. And uh, yeah, God's been doing sweet stuff ever since. And I've been thinking about you seniors, and as I was praying for you guys in, in my office as I was prepping this, uh, I was actually looking at the, the gift that the staff um, gave me when I transitioned off of Salt Company staff onto our church staff, and I actually just brought it. I probably didn't have to, but I don't know. I did. Um, so it's just this little framed uh, piece of lyrics of the song, All Glory Be to Christ, and um, this song means a lot to me and to us as a ministry for a couple reasons. One of them is uh, before we ever planted this salt company, uh, I came up here with the staff team that I was a part of, and we were praying for you guys uh, before we knew you. And we were in uh, that room in Northrop. <laughs> we also met in Northrop for a while, this like little room on top of the big auditorium and it was just the worst. It was super awkward, but I tried to convince you guys that it was cool. But we've, we've moved away from that phase a little bit. But uh, me and, and the staff team, we, we stood in that room and we prayed for you guys. And we prayed that we would see something like this happen. And then we sang this song, All, Go All Glory Be to Christ. Um, because we wanted that to be what this church and what this college ministry is about, and it's what I've always wanted my life to be about. And the other reason I, I brought it and was thinking about it is just because I think, yes, yeah, seniors, I, I just want to talk specifically to you tonight. We've walked through a lot together, and as you guys are getting ready to kind of go out, I wanted to talk to you. Now, the rest of you still listen, okay, like it's applicable to you, but seniors, I wanted to talk specifically to you, and I, I think one of the best ways I know how to summarize the message that I would want to send you out into the world with is like some of the things that this song talks about. It says, should nothing of our efforts stand, no legacy survive, unless the Lord does raise the house in vain, its builders strive. To you who boast tomorrow's gain, tell me, what is your life? A mist that vanishes at dawn, all glory be to Christ. Your life is like a mist. It's here for a second and then it's just gone. And, and you are convinced that you are invincible. Because we all are, but in particular in college you think that. 
but your life is like a mist. And everything that you're building and everything that you will tend to live for and everything that you will be told to live for in college will not matter. The only thing that matters, the only name that matters is the name of Jesus Christ and his glory written across all of history. And what you do for him and how you live with him matters and everything else will fall. And for four years of my life, I've been trying with everything that I know how to just convince you not to live for this world and not to waste your life. Because this world is fading away. It's like, it's like uh, somebody's turning down the dimmer on a light switch. It's just fading away. But there's an entire other world, a supernatural world that is unseen but every bit as real. In fact, it's more real than this one. And it's weighty. And it's, and it's laying on earth. And at one point, it will break into this world. And what you have said and done in the name of Jesus Christ is the only thing that will matter. And so I've been, I've, I've been trying to, to just believe myself and help you believe that that world is real, that it's not a myth, that it's not a made-up story, but that it's more real than this one, that it's weighty, and to live for it. And it's amazing how 1 Thessalonians 5 lines up so well with everything I would want to tell you. Specifically you seniors. Here's what 1 Thessalonians 5 is about. It's about that world that I was just talking about. And specifically it's going to tell you to anticipate another world, to live for that world, and to believe that God can bring you home. So anticipate another world. We'll get into the text um, in a minute, but, but 1 Thessalonians 5 is talking about the day of the Lord. And it's the day when Jesus comes back and he ushers a supernatural world into this one. And like I said, that world is currently unseen, but every bit as real as this one is. And yes, that is actually what Christians believe. If you're new to Christianity, or if you're not a Christian, we really do believe in the existence of another world. We really do believe in angels and demons, in, in cosmic powers, all pulsating with the, the presence of God. We believe that there really is a God who knows the blueprints of every individual blade of grass and who made black holes for fun. Like, just because he could. We believe in a God like that. And we believe that that God will ride down from heaven out of the clouds and heaven will crash onto earth. And we believe that the name of Jesus is above every single other name. Einstein, Abraham Lincoln, Caesar Augustus, Michael Jordan, those names don't matter. You could walk past them in that moment and you wouldn't even notice they were there because you would be so enthralled with the glory of Jesus Christ. And so if their names don't matter, do you understand that your name and your fame and your glory does not matter? None of ours do. And that might sound like bad news, but I think it's actually incredible news because it's an opportunity to live for something that will last. Because you can be invited into a glory and a story that's bigger than the one that you would write for yourself. But most of the world will not be ready for him to come back. 
Because for most of our culture, and honestly, if we're honest with ourselves in this room, the idea of this other world, this supernatural world, this God that is going to come, sounds kind of ridiculous. Because we haven't been able to see it yet. But here's what that would be like. It'd be like if you had lived in like a five foot by five foot tent your entire life. You had never left, you had never seen the outside world. You just sat there. And then someone from the outside came in and kind of closed the tent and sat down in front of you and tried to describe to you what that world was like. And it's like they started telling you about trees and what they look like in the fall. And they started telling you about mountains and rock faces that you can climb. They started telling you about giraffes. Can you imagine trying to explain a giraffe to somebody who had never seen it? They start telling you about giraffes. Here's what you would conclude. That what they were saying is absolutely ridiculous. And that there's no way it possibly could be true. Not because it isn't true, but because you haven't seen enough to know the wonder of the real world. And so there's people that because they haven't been able to see this supernatural world, this other world that's breaking in on earth, those people will conclude that that world is just a fairy tale, that it can't really exist. And so a lot of us are not ready for him to come back. Look at verse 2. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them. Okay, so he says, that day will come like a thief in the night. It's not trying to communicate sort of the, the negative connotation of thief or the immorality of a thief. It's, it's communicating the, the surprise nature of a thief. You wouldn't let a thief break into your house if you knew they were coming, but you didn't know they were coming. It's, it's shocking. It's, it's unexpected. And then it says, while people are saying there is peace and security. This is uh, Paul kind of poking, Paul who wrote the letter of 1 Thessalonians, kind of poking fun at Roman propaganda at the time that would go out and announce that because the Romans had come, there was now peace and security, even though what that really meant was war and insecurity. He's saying the world is preaching propaganda at you, that you can find peace and security in something or anything in this world, but it's, it's not true. You don't actually have peace and security and so it says the result of that in verses 4 through 8, it talks, it gives this analogy where it talks about people who are not anticipating the coming of Jesus. Um, they're, they're like people walking at night who can't see and they're stumbling around or they're like drunk people kind of stumbling along the side of the road that, that if you don't see this day coming and anticipate it, you'll stumble through life with no direction, not knowing what to do with it or how to find meaning or where to go, no significance. But Christians are different, it says. Christians are people who can see the unseen world and begin to anticipate it. There's a story in the Old Testament where this prophet, Elisha, is um, with one of his, his servants, and there's this army that completely surrounds them, and, and this other guy is, is kind of freaking out and like, what are we going to do? And Elisha just looks at him and says, don't worry, there's more of us than there are of them. And he must have just been thinking, what are you talking about? It was just those two. But then Elisha bends down and he prays, God, please let him see. And God in that moment opens his eyes to a supernatural world and he sees that they're entirely surrounded by chariots of fire. 
That that world was there the whole time. He just couldn't see it yet, but it was very real. That's what Christians are like, is we see the unseen and we find confidence and hope in it. And if you need proof, there's a lot of proof that I could give you, but actually my favorite proof is this room. Like what God has done here. This is not an accident. This is the kingdom of God. This is heaven breaking into earth. That's what we just experienced. Guys, this is wild. I remember before we moved up here, so many people told me that this couldn't be done for so many different reasons. There's people that told me, you know, you guys have, have planted uh, college ministries in like college towns before, but, but planning in a city is different. Or, you know, at this campus, not that many people live on campus. A lot of people drive in, and they're not going to drive back in for events at night. Or just in general, college students don't want to hear about Jesus. This isn't going to work. And it made me so mad, and I didn't say anything, but I wanted to just freak out. Because Jesus is alive. Like, of course he would do this. This is what he does. He came to life so that other people would come to life. What are they talking about? And, and it happened because the kingdom of God is coming to earth in him. Heaven is breaking in. The unseen world is becoming seen in you. You're getting to watch it happen. Look around and believe Believe that he can do it again and again and again and again and that you can be a part of that story because that's what Jesus does. He might be saying, okay, I get it. I believe. I do. I do. Okay, prove it. Prove it with your life. Stop talking about going overseas and go overseas. Like actually just move. Now do it with like a church sending you and don't be dumb and like don't drop out of school. It's going to cause some problems. But stop talking about it. Go do it. Stop talking about how you love Jesus more than anything in your life, but then continuing to pursue the same career that you were pursuing before just so that you can make a lot of money. Maybe you pursue that career and go make all that money and then you give massive chunks of it away or maybe you just pick a different career that you could use to help people more. Stop saying you value the community of God. Pick up your life and move it to help plan a church. Don't find a job and then find a church. Find a church and then find a job. Be a part of this kingdom. Don't you want to? Like, don't you want to see this thing keep happening? Make decisions. Real decisions because Jesus is alive and you want to you live with him. Stop wondering if you should apply for leadership and just apply. If you're not supposed to be on leadership, then you won't be. But the application process will still be helpful. Just take steps towards following Jesus. Those are, those are some short-term decisions. But, but I, I want to step back and I want to go, go, how would you do this long-term? How do you live for another world in the long term? Well, the answer is you anticipate a heavenly world by deeply connecting to a heavenly community. 
which is the expression of that world on earth. Verse 11, therefore encourage one another and build one another up just as you were doing. That therefore is really important. So he's saying in light of the day of the Lord that he just talked about, here's the application. Jesus is coming back. There's an unseen world that's coming. Heaven will invade earth. So commit to and love a group of people called the church. That's the application. Anticipate another world, live for another world through the church. He's going to unpack what he just said in verse 11 through the whole next section, verses 14 and 15. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all, see that no one repays any evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Oh, the church is so cool. Isn't that the community we all want? I mean, a community that's like stirring each other up to do good to each other and to everyone around them. That sounds so, that sounds so good. But I, I want you to see that he's writing this to quote unquote normal believers. There is no such thing that's kind of what this whole message is about, but what we refer to as normal believers. He's writing to them. So he's not writing to just church staff or to missionaries or to the really devoted people. He's writing to just normal Christians. And he's saying this is what it looks like to be in a church. Is that you, you get to know these people so well that you're able to see what their needs are and then you give your life to supporting them and encouraging them in their needs. Systematically, over and over again for the rest of your life, that's what the church does. Now, what the church isn't is a group of people that stand back and observe some other people doing church stuff. Okay, so, so the church is an emergency room for sick people. Jesus used this analogy a lot. The church is not for healthy people, it's for sick people, sinful people, hurting people. And the church is an emergency room for those people. Now, in some emergency rooms, there's that like, uh, there's like the people performing the surgery, but then there's the like observation glass in some of them where people who are in school or whatever can kind of observe a surgery happening and evaluate how it's going. Being in a church is not standing behind the glass. So what I don't mean by this is when you graduate here, in particular you seniors, and you go find a church, is that you find an event to show up to and rate kind of how they're performing. That's not church. Don't go and be critical of a church or just encouraging to a church. Go do surgery. Like you are the ones that God has called to benefit and help the world in his name. And so be in the room doing the surgery on sick people who need it. Now that is a really high, really difficult calling. So how in the world are you going to do that? Well, the answer is you can't do it on your own because you don't know how to do surgery. But God does know how to do surgery, so he's going to help you. Skip down to verses 19 through 21. Do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophecies, but test everything, holding fast to what is good. Okay, so I think these function all together. So here's what I mean by that, is I, I think the primary 
call or command is in verse 19, where it says, do not quench the spirit. And then I think he's going to unpack what he means by that. So do not quench the spirit. So, so when you think quench, think sort of ignoring or downplaying the spirit. What's the primary way that these people, the Thessalonians, were downplaying the spirit? Verse 20, they were despising prophecies. And we'll get to verse 21 in a minute, but I want to stop there and be like, okay, uh, what's prophecy? Um, okay, what we don't necessarily mean by that is like uh, someone predicting the future or something like that. Um, here's a, a definition that Wayne Grudem gave. It's a really simple one, but I think it's helpful of what a prophecy is. It's telling someone something that God has spontaneously brought to mind. Telling someone something that God has spontaneously brought to mind. And, and 1 Corinthians 12 through 14 unpacks this whole idea, all right? I'm not going to be able to do justice to it right now, so you should go read that yourself, 1 Corinthians 12 through 14. If you have questions, ask Drake. You're welcome, Drake. Um, talk to Drake about prophecy. Uh, telling someone something that God has spontaneously brought to mind. Okay, so I've got just this really simple, like, diagram thing for this little photo thing. I don't know what to call it, but can you, can you throw that up? Okay, so super simple, okay? But here's why I'm putting this up. Is you, here's what prophecy is, is you receive a word from God to be spoken to someone else to encourage them in their faith. The thing coming from God is what's called revelation. The thing coming out of your mouth is what's called prophecy. The reason why I think it's important to distinguish this is because what comes out of your mouth could be a mix of revelation from God and your own kind of weird interpretation, okay? So prophecy is not, New Testament prophecy is not an authoritarian word from God. It does not hold the same authority that the Bible holds because it's a mix of both God's word and yours or maybe God's word and your interpretation of it which could be flawed, which is why in verse 21 he says that you should test everything and take what is good. He's talking about prophecy. He's saying test the prophecy against scripture and against what the community believes and take from it what's good and let kind of the, the bad stuff fall to the side. Okay, so an example of this. In my life, one time I was at a conference, I felt really convicted, I was struggling, I was hurting, and in my head I was thinking, man, like, I just can't stop sinning, I'm, I'm, I'm worthless, like, I don't know if God loves me. A person came up that I didn't know, sat down next to me and said, hey, can I just talk to you for a second? I said, yeah, sure. And, and he said, I just want you to know that you're not worthless and that God loves you. And, and then he quoted uh, Zephaniah, which says that God rejoices over me with singing and quiets me with his love. And then he prayed for me and prayed for essentially everything that I had just been thinking. He prayed truth back into it. That's prophecy. The other day I was spending some time with Jesus and somebody random came to my mind and so I thought maybe that was from God. And so I just pulled out a pen and a piece of paper and I said, God, is there anything that you want to say to encourage this person? And then I just wrote what I felt like he was directing me to write, and then I gave it to that person. I think that was prophecy. Now, there's like 10 of you in the room who are really pumped. 
And you're like, they're finally talking about prophecy. You grew up around this stuff, and you're like, yeah, let's go. And you're probably a little bit too pumped. Um, but then the rest of you are a little freaked out and kind of like, I'm not sure about this. Uh, like, what and how? Like, how do you know? What's your thoughts? What's God's thoughts? Yeah, just ask Drake. Um, so, <laughs> but you're, you're a little bit freaked out about this. Okay, 1 Corinthians 12, 31 says, earnestly desire the greater gifts. The immediate context of that, he's talking about things like healing, miracles, and yes, prophecy. So if you're a Christian, let me just ask you, what other New Testament commands are you just fine with blatantly ignoring and just pretending like they're not there? Do you do that with any other commands? Well, this is a New Testament command. So why are we so weirded out by it, or why are we okay with blatantly ignoring it? Because we don't believe in a supernatural world. We believe it in theory, but we don't believe it in practice. Here's what prophecy is. The breaking in of heaven into our world. God in his goodness speaking to us to encourage us. It's a word from another world. Why would you not want that? We live in a supernatural world with a supernatural God who doesn't play by our rules and isn't sort of, doesn't fit into our boxes. He requires mystery, but in embracing that mystery and trust in him, he blesses your life with his presence. So what do you do if you're super unfamiliar with this, you just pray. Eagerly desire the greater gifts. How do you do that? You just pray. You just ask God for more of his presence in your life and that he would bless you with gifts to help other people. Okay, that leads us to our next section on prayer. Verses 16, 17, and 18. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus. So we have three commands here. Rejoice, pray, give thanks. Now, with just those commands, uh, that's not necessarily a Christian statement. Okay, that could be sort of any philosophy. My guess is one of your moms has that hanging somewhere in her house. Uh, just, yeah, rejoice, pray, give thanks. Here's the thing that makes it Christian. Rejoice, Always pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances. Literally think of a circumstance. You should rejoice, pray, and give thanks. I'm 100% I'm confident. I don't know your circumstances, but that's what you should do in it. That, that's wild to us. Somebody in your family dies. Rejoice. You fail a test. Rejoice. Give thanks. Yeah, like that feels, it feels weird, right? Like let's just acknowledge that. Why is that possible? Because you are hidden with Christ in God if you trust him, which means that you already live in heaven in him. And in heaven, everything is good, which means that every circumstance has joy, 
every circumstance, you're living in the presence of God, so that means prayer. In every circumstance, you can thank God for because it's good and it's a gift from him. I think the foundational of these three is prayer. Because if you want to do the other two, what you do is pray. You pray that God would make you thankful or you pray that God would make you joyful. Here's what prayer means. Prayer is the means by which God brings about the transformation of the world. If you want to change the world, pray. If you want to change yourself, pray. Don't try to change yourself. Pray that God would change you. Prayer transcends all boundaries, all powers, all doubts, even time itself, prayer transcends. I'm speaking to you specifically seniors, right? You are not going to remember to apply this message in 10 years. Nevertheless, tomorrow, okay? Uh, but God will remember your prayers. So if you pray and ask him to make you this person, he will do it. And he will apply that in 10 years. He will rain down heaven on your life and the lives of people around you through your prayers. Now, this little piece is kind of assumed, but maybe we shouldn't assume it. But this is kind of assumed in preaching as we give you the, the theology and the context and hopefully stir up some worship for Jesus. But then the idea is that you would go and, and do the things that we're talking about, okay? Like apply it. Uh, and that is the idea for connection groups, is, is for you to talk about how to actually apply these things. So, so don't just think, oh, I should pray more. Make a plan to pray more. You need habits in your life that will help you become this type of person. Does Jesus save you through those habits? No, but are they a way that you can live for him and live in his goodness? Yes. So, so like, for, for example, pray unceasingly. If, if you have not been praying throughout this entire message, you're struggling with that command. So you need help. Habits can help you. I am not able to just pray unceasingly by waking up. I need a plan. So it's not a perfect plan, and I definitely don't follow it, but I, but I have a plan. I have a book that has prayers in it that I read three times a day, in the morning, and then at lunchtime, and at night, and it kind of sets me up to pray. I have this thing that I do at night called the daily examine, which is where I review the day and pray back on it in thankfulness. I have a discipline that I try. Whenever I think of someone, I assume that that was God telling me, and I try to pray for that person. I've got this thing in my pocket, this like weird prayer coin that says pray on it so that every time I touch it, when my hands are in my pockets, which is all the time, uh, I think to pray. We're starting uh, monthly prayer groups at Salt City, partially because I just need to pray. <laughs> And, and I'll have to pray. If I'm the one announcing it, i got to show up for that. Also, you guys should show up for that. Apply this message. Sunday night, 8 o'clock, on Zoom, there's a link on our website. Show up just to pray. I have no idea if our Zoom call is big enough for that, but it would be amazing if we ran out of space. And if not, we'll all pray together, and it'll be great. Literally, you guys should all just come to that. You should, you should pray. Thankfulness. You know what the difference between being a joyful optimist at the end of your life is and being just a cranky old person that hates their life? Thankfulness. You want to be happy? Be thankful. Here's what thankfulness does. 
is it focuses all of your attention on the good things in life and then it helps you be amazed by them. Wouldn't that make your life amazing? I heard this, this message on thankfulness actually just yesterday. And he said all kinds of things that, that, that blew my mind, but there was a couple that, that stuck out. He was talking about how thankfulness makes every situation in life better. For example, one of them he mentioned is marriage. If you ever want to be married someday, he said this. His name was Sam Crabtree. He said, I've never met a couple who is divorced when they've had a steady diet of thankfulness. Thankfulness solving divorce. Sounds crazy. I actually think it's true. Have you ever thanked God for your eyelids? Okay. What would happen if you did not have eyelids? Yeah, we're going there. Um, your, your eyes would dry out within 20 minutes and become incredibly painful. Your vision quickly would start to blur as your coronas dried out. Bacteria would enter your eyes and break them down until they literally started to crack. After a few days, the pain would be so intense that you would literally start to lose your mind. You would eventually become blind and probably die. You have eyelids. Praise Jesus. He gave you two of them. That's amazing. Okay, here's the idea. If you can be thankful... The world is, has endless possibilities for joy. Endless possibilities for delight. Joyful, prayerful, thankful people empowered by the Spirit of God to support and love each other. That sounds like heaven. And that is the whole idea. It seems like God wants to make his invisible world visible through you. Through his church. The single most important factor in you still being a Christian 10 years from now is if you invest in a local community and you love and serve it the way that this is describing and you're loved and served by it the way that this is describing. Invest your life in a group of people and Jesus will use that to hold you close to him. Anticipate a coming world, live in and for that coming world. Lastly, believe that God will bring you to that world. Verse 23, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. His dream for you is nothing short of completeness. Think about that. All of the brokenness from your past gone. All of the bitterness and the frustration gone. All of the scars from what people have done to you gone. Your body no longer hurting. Your mind no longer causing you pain, you're just whole. That is his vision and his dream for your life. How will he do it? Verse 24, he who calls you is faithful, he will surely do it. Listen, 
He didn't say that you are faithful, so you will do it. He said he is faithful, so he will do it. Your ability to become the, the radiant creature that God wants you to become, that one day will dance on the stars with him in his new world, that is not up to you. That would be a really stupid idea, and God is not stupid. He's smart. And so he left it up to him, into his character, into his reliability. Your standing and your hope of heaven has nothing to do with your ability to follow God and everything to do with him and his character. He is holding on to you. And so, yes, you should look ahead at your life, and in particular, seniors, you should say, I want to live for that world, and so I'm going to get in this local community. I'm going to co commit my life to it. I'm going to pray. I'm going to read the Bible. I'm going to stay in touch with Jesus. But ultimately, Jesus is the one holding you. That's where he lands this text. That's where it all comes together. When I was a kid, my dad would say, hold on, whenever he was about to do something that he knew would scare me, right? So... Uh, when he'd throw me up on his shoulders, like, hold on, buddy. Or when we'd, like, go down a hill sledding, right? Hold on. What would have happened if I didn't hold on? I would have been safe because my dad was holding me. He just told me to hold on because he knew that I was afraid. But I wasn't holding anything because he had me. God is holding you. You don't have to be afraid. I want to end with this. Tim Keller is a, a pastor in New York City. He's kind of a, a personal hero of mine. He was recently diagnosed with cancer and is, is probably dying. Um, and The Atlantic recently did an interview with him. And that interview was posted in The Atlantic. And it, it's about death and and they were asking him about his perspective of how to face death and this is how i want to wrap up this whole idea of this other world he said this since my diagnosis kathy and i have come to see that the more we tried to make a heaven out of this world the more we grounded our comfort and security in it the less we were able to enjoy it when we turn good things into ultimate things when we make them our greatest consolations and loves, they will necessarily disappoint us bitterly. You see what he's saying? He, he tried to find his life here, his significance here, his hope here, his peace here in so many ways, and it always disappointed him. And when you have that experience, not if, but when you have that experience, that is not evidence that God does not exist and that he's abandoned you. It's evidence that you were made for another world. And that this one is not enough. So you should stop trying to turn this place into heaven and wait for the real thing. This is what he said next. This change was not an overnight revolution. As God's reality dawns more on my heart, slowly and painfully and through many tears, the simplest pleasures of this world have become sources of daily happiness. It's only as I have become, for lack of a better term, more heavenly-minded that I can see the material world for the astonishingly good divine gift that it is. I can sincerely say without any sentimentality or exaggeration that I've never been happier in my life. Let's pray.
Jesus, you are Lord over everything, and you're coming back, and we wait for you. Teach us to believe in the reality of another world. Um, teach us to pray unceasingly, to give thanks all the time, to have joy all through our life, because that world exists. And this isn't home, and that's really hard for us, God, but we can't wait to see you face to face. We believe you. We trust you. We're waiting for you. We're thankful for you, God, and everything good you've given us. Amen.